1: Edgy
0: Talk Game Talk Unrivaled Talk Talk Radio. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving
2: of good old-fashioned common sense. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
3: Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio, where we have reached the end, ladies and gentlemen, of yet another week in the world of common sense as we search for the truth. We search it here, we search it there, uh, we will try and find it somewhere. Uh, there's not a lot of it out there, but you never know. This morning we're coming out fighting, as you might expect, on behalf of the hard-working men and women of this country who are getting ready to awaken, we think, in 2022 and start demanding a few things. First, we don't want to pay any more taxes to save the NHS. Second, we demand an end to green subsidies on our energy bills. Third, we We do not wish for a further 1 million people to be dragged into a higher tax bracket. Fourth, we want our children to be able to go to school without fear. And fifth, we want this government to stop wasting our money. Are you fed up paying out for everything and getting nothing in return? Join our crusade today. It doesn't have a party attached to it, but it does have an ideology, and that is low tax high representation of the people and just do what it says on the tin run the country the way we want you to 0344 499 1000 up first this morning uh, we're going to be bringing in richard tyson reform uk party with his take on the new year so far the energy pricing crisis and what we can do to make this government understand we're not going to keep taking it we're just not barrister jerry hayes is here as well following the news that piers morgan has been threatened with death online and police have now arrested the troll they believe to be responsible are we asking him what you can do if you get threatened on social media. Plus, I'll be finding out just how the Ministry of Justice has managed to waste a staggering 238 million quid on a series of botched projects. Jamie Jenkins is here as well. Uh, we're going to be listening to what you have to say. We've also also got Sir Donald Trump aide, former Donald Trump aide, Sebastian Gorka here, after what Joe Biden said yesterday, accusing the former president of seeking to divide America. It's also uh, the Perry Awards, because it's Friday. You'll listen to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course... Talk Radio.
2: The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
3: Time to say a very good morning and a
2: happy new year indeed to Richard Indeed, Thomas. happy new year and a very good morning to you, Mike. And, and How what, the what devil a, are you? Well, I'm very well, but what a first week it's been. I mean, it's been Well, it hasn't been off. bad, has it? I yeah. mean, suddenly you're away for about a week. It seemed like I was
3: away for about a month. And suddenly <laughs> came back and there was this kind of <laughs> whoosh of, uh, of, of amazing stories. I mean, what is going on?
2: It's all there. But you know you're in a slightly strange place mm. where you're reading in the newspaper that Labour are accusing the con Tories, of being the party of high taxes, low yeah, growth. tax I and mean, spend. I've, I've, I've been saying that for a year. Right. I'm delighted that Labour are now joining my crusade. Yes. I mean, but what a strange place. Well, do you know, it's even more strange because Jeremy Carl had a like, the shadow minister of justice on, right,
3: who actually answered two questions in a way that I thought... The Labour Party would never answer. He actually said that he thought it was irresponsible that the uh, the guys down in Bristol, you know, the Colston Four had been let off. Thought that was wrong, uh, and also said we've got to do something to crack down on these uh, terrible, horrible online trolls. Two answers which you wouldn't have expected from the wokists Uh, at any point. No, but actually, in fairness,
2: I know Steve Reed, and uh, from from days of old, and he's he's a decent guy, and he just you know, says it as he sees it. Yeah. And I think, you know, he's probably well, right Labour, on Par- Well,
3: more Labour uh, Party politicians like him, and they might actually have a chance of getting in. Well, that's, that's what you want from any
2: politician. Yeah. Just tell it as they see it. Right. Straight up. And An- so answer, answer my crusade question. today,
3: and I'm sure you'll join me in this, and it doesn't have to be, as I say, party political, but, you know, it could become that. You never know. Um, you know, people are fed up. If you took, as I said to Jeremy, if you took 20% off VAT, off the energy bills, I don't know why we're paying VAT on energy bills, because it should be considered a necessity of life, shouldn't it? And then
2: 20% of a, a green. Subsidy. Suddenly, your hundred pound a month bill has gone down to 60. Oh, completely. I mean, you know, the whole one of the advantages of Brexit, of course, which the prime minister did say during the, uh, the Brexit debate in the referendum back in 16, is that we've now got the ability to uh, get rid of VAT mm. on energy, right. which, by the way, is at 5 <clears> percent. <throat> excuse me, not 20 percent. Oh, as it? Many okay. people seem to think. And so VAT on energy is 5 percent. And, but we could cut that to zero. Well, we weren't, still a, we weren't allowed to do yeah. that as a member of the EU. But the real thing that uh, it seems that many in Westminster are embarrassed to talk about, and this is the thing, is that 25% of your electricity bill is green taxes, and green levies, th- yeah. and subsidies. And most of those subsidies end up in the pockets of big overseas private equity mm. groups, Billionaires, who don't need a what do they need a subsidy for? They don't need a subsidy. Well, they they need a subsidy so that they can earn more money. Basically, that's the point to boost their profits. But presumably,
3: the subsidy is intended to sort of encourage more companies to go green and to produce green energy. But these these companies don't need encouragement because they're
2: multi-millionaires. They they said they needed the subsidy in order to be able to financially justify building the wind turbines, building Mm. the solar farms. The reality is that they've put huge amounts of debt in them and they're making money hand over fist mm. and they're profiteering at the expense of the British consumer and it's got to stop.
3: Absolutely right. And what about this business of, um, you know, the green agenda? I mean, we've already seen Jacob Rees-Mogg now kind of breaking ranks with with his boss, Boris Johnson. And I often wonder whether that's more of an attack on Rishi Sunak than it is on anything else. But he's calling for them to halt this ridiculous rise in national
2: insurance, which is coming in April, because people aren't going to be able to handle it. I mean, it's incredible, isn't it? But everything is coming in April. So you've got the freezing of the income tax thresholds, which is over the next couple of years is going to drag a million of the lowest paid mm. right uh, the, the lowest into a higher tax bracket into, well into paying tax where previously they weren't paying tax so that's at the lowest level of the tax threshold you've then got um you've got the increase in the national insurance taxes uh, you've then got the uh, the energy cap is going to be lifted i mean april is a is a proper treble whammy mm. of a. it's a horror show yeah. it's like a nightmare coming straight at us, and it's going to thump us right between the eyes. And that's
3: already on top of what is apparently around
2: about a 5% inflation rate rise On top of the inflation. And the thing is that what they should be doing is what basic economics tells you, which is if you cut taxes, you'll get higher growth. And Mm. what they should be doing is they should be cutting taxes for the least well-off, the lowest paid small businesses, and you'll get higher growth, which leads to higher wages, and you then get higher tax revenues. And hey, presto, that was... I mean, the Tories used to understand that. Mm. Jacob understands it. Yes. I don't know what's happened to Rishi, but uh, that's what they should well, be My prediction, be. though, my prediction is at some point between now and April... The Tories will do a U-turn mm. on this national insurance right. increase. I mean, there because is, the pressure will be too much.
3: Yeah, I mean, there is a theory, is there not, that they would do that uh, before, say, for example, the next general election. But they might decide to do it before the May elections, so they can avoid a hammering. And they might say to people, "Look, here's our gift to you uh, in April. Rather than putting up your taxes, we're going to reduce them, and
2: then you might vote for us." I think they'll have to; otherwise, they will get an absolute hammering because there's just the, the pressure is relentless. Mm. We haven't even had a proper cold snap yet this winter. We're bound to get one. Bit of
3: snow, apparently, in the Lake District today. but You would
2: expect it, wouldn't you? You wait, and all sorts of things are happening around the world with regard to energy prices. Putin and others are determined to keep them uh, at highs, Mm. which, of course, means that our gas prices will be much higher because, tragically, we're importing Mm. huge quantities of gas, Mm. even though we've got our own gas under our feet and er in our own seas around this great island of ours so we're exposed we're very vulnerable and prices are going up sadly. And isn't this now the time to look at what perhaps we would have been looking at two
3: years ago practically you know Boris Johnson got re-elected in 2019 got his 80 seat majority left the European Union January 31st that famous night uh, in Westminster where we all ended up in some club or other um, which (laughs) seemed rather jolly at the time. Uh, But we're two years on and I was sort of Ben Habib yesterday and there's still an awful lot that hasn't been done with regard to Brexit but also with all of the other things that that the government needs to fix. The massive inefficiency in the civil service, the incredible uselessness of parts of the NHS you know all of the efficiencies that they promised that Dominic Cummings was going to have in the civil service you know let's get on with all of that and let's stop the government wasting all of our money.
2: Absolutely and whatever anybody thinks of Dominic Cummings he did understand that large chunks of government needed major reform the civil service needed major reform and that was part of his mission and in a sense since he's left No one else has picked up that Mm. mantle, and it really does need picking up because we heard it this morning. The waste that goes Mm. on—you've heard it about the justice department. Yeah. Let me tell everybody that waste is just a drop in the ocean of the waste that applies across the whole of the public sector, and it means that it's—it's not billions they're wasting; it's tens of billions. Well, look at every single
3: part of the government, kind of, and its various—you know—departments of state, the Department of Health. Absolute chaos, right? They've got the army coming into hospitals in London because they've sent so many people home. Now, surely they must be able to make a better organised deal than that. Second of all, the Home Office, you've got the Border Force threatening to sue the government because they're supposed to be doing their job. You know, we've got teachers who can't be bothered going to school because they claim they're going to get Omicron and making kids wear masks. You know, I mean, almost every department you can think of,
2: there's a problem. uh, But but the reason for that is that the... Uh, the the secretaries of state and the ministers are not strong enough, not robust enough in the face of the permanent secretaries and the senior civil servants in the departments. And, you know, my view is that actually uh, a new secretary of state coming into a department should be able to bring in uh, some great people from the private sector, like you see in the States. And this is why the vaccine rollout was so successful. Why? Because they brought in a lady called Kate Bingham, who uh, brought in some other people from the private sector, great people, and you know they did something for the public good, right? Uh, in a period, and guess what? It was brilliant. The rollout was was brilliant, and so yeah, but they can't live off that for the rest of time. No, well, the point is, it sets an example, and actually, what you can say is, we need to learn from that, and we need to say in all the different departments, we need to bring in some private sector expertise to come. It's a bit sort of like poacher turn mm. gamekeeper, and you know, come in. Do your bit for the common good, for the public good, for two or three or four years, yeah. and and then you can go back yeah. into. Although the Although it would have to be the said the as well sector. in
3: the same breath that you know that was one success story. There were plenty of other stories which were about greed uh, and about sort oh, of, yes, you know, but friendly, that's different. That's where about, that's where you about give contracts and all of that.
2: That's where you give contracts yeah. without tendering mm. to uh, mates in the private sector. That's completely different. What you want to do is bring great people from the private sector to come and work in the department, mm. reporting direct to Secretary of State. That's how you get stuff done. That's how you shake things up. And the, look, there's a range of reforms that are needed. Yeah. And in my view, uh, that is one of them, because otherwise so you end up with a complete do, twin I mean, track.
3: You, you've been involved in, in, in the politics business for a long time. You've been uh, on by-elections up and down the country recently. You know, what could ordinary people, like the woman who rang in, um, I think they said her name was Heidi, who said, look, I've been working 60 hours a week. I've been paying my taxes. You know, I'm better off... Um, being on benefits than I am now currently working because I get taxed up the wazoo. I don't get any kind of uh, help from from all of the things like, like you know, uh, relief for this or mortgage relief or, you know, any, any kind of benefits whatsoever. And an awful lot of people like that who voted for this government uh, who expect to get something back.
2: Look, it's really difficult. And, uh, you know, so many millions of people are facing a very challenging few weeks and, and months ahead. But I think everybody's got to make it clear... To their to their MPs either by letters or actually by trying to get an appointment. That uh, this is not good enough. Mm. We can do so much better. You know we are a great nation, and actually, uh, but we want to cut out the waste, and so we mm. want some competent government. Yeah. They've got to say, look, we're not going to vote for you no. again. We're going to vote for someone else. Right, and and that's how ultimately uh, you will terrify uh, council uh, councillors, and you'll terrify uh, your local MPs. And and I think that it is. The message is beginning to seep through, and that's why I repeat what I said earlier. I think there is a big U-turn coming on some of these yeah. tax increases. But in my view, it won't be enough. I don't want the tax increase cancelled. I want it cancelled and reversed, mm. and taxes to be cut, yes. and cut hard. But, crucially, for the least well-off, the lowest paid, mm. and the small businesses. Because that's how you create growth, from the really from the bottom Upwards, and that creates activity yeah. and more growth. And that's how you make Because progress.
3: people having more of their own money to spend is the recipe for success in the economy. Well, it's as it, simple because, as that, isn't it? Because
2: an individual will always spend a pound in their pocket yeah. better, more wisely, more smartly, more productively... Mm than some bowler-hatted civil well, servant exactly on right. your
3: behalf. Exactly right. And we seem to have found ourselves in a situation where, and I can't think of another government that was this draconian about telling us what to do and then charging us for the privilege. And I mean, wasting like your walk, money. It's like walking into a restaurant and somebody going, did you want the lobster Thermidor? That'll be a thousand quid. We'll put you a bottle of Cristal on the side as well. And as you walk out, you didn't really enjoy it very much. They'd be bill
2: for three grand. Yeah, and and by the way, <laughs> the champagne's not cold and the lobster's not yeah. hot. No. Um, but th- and that's the point. In a sense... Look, no one really likes paying taxes, but we all understand, you know, for civil society, you've got to pay taxes. But But if if you're paying taxes and and the service is good, it's prompt, it's efficient, the outcomes are good, you say, fantastic, well done, thank you very much. I mean, we're incredibly grateful and lucky to be living in this amazing nation. But when you spend your taxes and you know that it's being wasted incompetently and that actually the public services are getting worse, they're getting slower, the outcomes Mm. are getting worse... Then I think people start to say, "No, hang on, something's really badly wrong here."
3: Yeah, absolutely, and there isn't much right it has to be said.
2: Richard Tyson's here. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
3: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Richard Tice is here ahead of his show at the weekend, of course. Richard, we've been watching uh, as the schools go back this week uh, with some interest. I've been sort of campaigning as ever about the mask debate because there's really no reason and no evidence. And even the government have now admitted they haven't got any evidence for making kids wear masks all day in class.
2: It's unbelievable. And and I likewise have been uh, campaigning and shouting about it. And Julia, she she forced uh, Nadeem Sahawi to admit that he was going to produce what he called evidence, uh, which turned out to be nothing more than a little sort of observational study of yes. a few classrooms in a few schools. Right. And when well, they're it, now when, down to, are they not, well, it might sort of help. Yes, well, they basically said, um, we can't show that it's statistically significant. Um, we do accept that there is harm to education right. and anxiety to children, mm-hmm. but we think and hope it may help. I mean, it really is pathetic. Yeah, it's but, awful. But, you know, it would be laughable, except the fact that actually it's really serious, it's tragic, mm. that... Uh, millions of school children are having their education harmed and damaged um, without any justification whatsoever to protect people who've all been double jabbed, yeah. triple jabbed. Yeah. Uh, so you think, hang on, why are we doing this? Right. Is it just a question of control? But that so was why I was delighted. But it's, a union. it's a union maneuver, isn't it? It's simple as well, like that. I think it is a union maneuver, and uh, probably some civil servants within the Department of Education. Mm. And again, you see, it's a lack of courage and a lack of leadership. By the head of the uh, Department of Education, which is Nadim Sahawi. Mm. If he had put his foot down and he had said no masks, there would have been no masks. It's as simple as that. And but he didn't. He bottled it. And that. But I, what I was delighted was that actually, guess who showed the leadership? The schoolchildren. Yes. In the northwest, there are a number of schools. I read where actually, over ninety percent of the school children have said, "We will not put up with this any longer. Mm. We're refusing to wear masks." They've even refused to uh, take the lateral flow tests as a sign of defiance. And I think that's that's absolutely yeah. amazing. I tweeted out fantastic. They're saying enough is enough. We want right. our lives back. And how about that as a as a lesson to, to the absolutely. rest of
3: society, actually? Because this is, has always you've always said this and so have I, and so has Julia, to be fair. The only way this stops is when we say enough is enough. Absolutely.
2: And isn't it, it's extraordinary that it's children who are saying mm. to the adults, enough is enough. Yeah. We're done with this. Right and i think it's a, it's a real moment it's like it's it's the ultimate people power mm. and here it's children power yeah and i hope that that is that, that something grows from that and more and more children have the confidence and the courage because it's really hard mm. for one or two children oh, in a sure. class or a year group to say no we're exempt we're not going to but once you get a whole class a whole year group a Mm. whole school doing it then it becomes really strong really powerful and I think actually very exciting
3: yes I think so because there is a time now uh, where it would certainly I mean I don't think it's wrong in any way to say with a reasonable amount of absolute surety that this Omicron variant is killing off all of the other variants because apparently it's become so pervasive that the more dangerous variants are actually now being pushed into the background and Omicron is now the dominant sort of uh, Situation
2: with COVID, and it's not harming very many people. That's right, and I think you said you've got um, stats, Jamie, on later. Yes, and you may want to ask him because I think I'm right in saying that the number of uh, the bed occupancy in NHS hospitals across England, probably across the whole of the UK, mm. is almost identical levels to two years ago, yeah. three years ago, four right. years ago. I pre COVID, yeah, not last year. In that, guess what? Mm. It's winter. Bed occupancy always increases, particularly the elderly yeah. in winter. That's what happens. And so, you know, we, we always knew winter's coming. It comes every year, believe mm. it or not. And so I think th- the reality is that it is mild and mercifully. Mm. It is now clearly the dominant variant, I think, across pretty much the whole world. I think so. And and that in a sense, um, you can see that the, the key data to look at, actually, is the ICU data. And those numbers are actually completely flat mm. over recent weeks. They're lower than they were two or three months ago, pre-Omicron. Yeah. And I think that tells you a story. The other story that you never hear is actually the average length of stay in hospitals, yes. which mercifully and happily is much shorter for COVID-related uh, right. patients than it was. I think, again, it's halved. Stance mm. Jane would have the exact yes. number. So you know, this is positive. And look, every death is sad. But the reality is that the number of deaths, again, is, is sort of pretty much holding its own. It may trickle up a little bit. Yeah. But you would, again, deaths every day, every winter mm. are always higher but than in the it summer. But
3: funny, also, that the NHS fundamentalists, because that's what I'm going to start calling them from now, from this point I on. I call them like the zealots. The, the, the Taliban of the <laughs> NHS. I mean, these are the people who tell you that the NHS is in constant kind of turmoil almost at the end of its tether, but not because of any illnesses, but because they haven't got enough people. And this is the other thing we have to fix. You and I have spoken a lot about, you know, people coming back to offices. The trains are still pretty empty. You know, some trains are not running because they haven't got drivers. You know, we've got this ludicrous situation where most
2: people are still being told to work from home. It's got to stop, hasn't it? It has. And you talk about leadership and the zealots in the NHS. You know, a friend of mine who is a doctor, a retired doctor, a retired medic, uh, he's still got his licence, he's mm. still got his training, He's never been contacted by the NHS to say, actually, we've created this thing called the NHS Reserves. We need some people to come back in and help part-time. Would you come in? He'd be delighted. Never been contacted in two years. And he's just one of tens of thousands who I think would like to help. What they don't want is the the management bureaucracy and bungling that comes with it. Mm. And it's just down to a failure of leadership again. Yeah, well, that's the trouble. I mean, everybody that I talk to, more or
3: less, you know, without fail, says that when they went to the hospital, there was hardly anybody there. That they're quite quiet places these days, and I know that in some parts of of the country where you were up in Shropshire, there was terrible long waits for ambulances and that kind of thing. And in fact, the ludicrous nature of the way life is now. Somebody sent me a tweet from Birmingham the other day saying that Birmingham City Council were offering free taxi rides to booster clinics so you can go and get your booster, but it's currently a nine hour wait for an ambulance.
2: I mean, you go, sorry, it's 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 madness. There is there is a real issue with uh, ambulances mm. not being you know not being able to be used I, I, and. I don't know exactly what that is, but there are, there are some huge blockages going yes. on, and it's just completely unacceptable. Mm. Uh, what I, one It thing wouldn't I t- be surprising to discover that it's because the people that are supposed to drive them have been sent home. Well, I, I don't know. I think, I think that sometimes they may be being used when actually they shouldn't be mm. used. The reality is, look, if you don't need an ambulance, an ambulance should be for an emergency, yes. right? If you just need to get to hospital, then find another way to get yeah. to hospital or to get back from hospital. Mm. So, you know, I think we've just got to apply some common sense, mm. believe it or not, yes, uh, to the issue of how we use ambulances. They're for emergencies for people who really need them. Mm. Um, but there is some blockages and it is a real problem. Yeah, absolutely right.
3: Now, tell us what's coming up on your show this weekend. So
2: we're going to be talking. Uh, actually, I'm going to be talking to the chief executive. Of uh, one of the biggest care homes uh, in the top four care homes, he was on in early December. He's going to be giving. Oh, an I remember him. Yeah, of, good. Uh, Jeremy Richardson. What's going on in care homes? Mm. I'm hoping also I'm going to get someone from the FA to talk about what research they're doing doing into COVID, the impact on elite footballers. Mm. And a variety of other things, so uh, don't miss it, 10 o'clock on Sunday. Yeah, but that's the other thing about hospital bed space,
3: isn't it? Because there's an awful lot of older people in hospital who should be now in a care home, but who can't move to the care
2: home because there isn't anyone to look after them. Absolutely right. And, and again, it's just another sort of blockage in the system. Mm. And, and actually, so it would be really interesting to hear that update of, of what's going on in the care homes, the impact on his staffing, of uh, the fact that, of course, care home staff now have to be vaccinated. When he came on in December, he said, you know, the number of staff that he had lost. That's a big issue. Whether he's been able to replace that or not. So I'm looking forward to that and and lots, lots more. Uh, you know, the, the, we're in a, an extraordinary time where we're I've, you know we're we're coming out of the worst of COVID. Mm. I think most people feel that. I think so. most people want to get on with their lives. Most people have done what we were asked by the government. We've been double jabbed, triple jabbed, heaven knows what. Yeah. Um. And now we're saying, well, hang on. So we want our lives back. Yeah, I mean, and I'm delighted that they took off the travel
3: restrictions, but again, for a lot of people, it's still not very easy to travel, particularly if you're not vaccinated. So we still sort of need to sort that out in some way, shape, or form. But all I thought when I saw those restrictions being lifted was not kind of a sense of relief or oh, great. I can go and see my mother. It was more like, well, why did you put them on there for in the first place?
2: Well, it, what exactly. What was it all for? So it's now you know, Plan B restrictions should be should be lifted. Mm. Uh, they can lift the va- they can get rid of these ridiculous vaccine passports yeah. that clearly make no difference anymore no. because wherever they've been tried, they've made no difference. No. And also, when you're standards. doing
3: 200,000 a day infections, right, whether or not it's actually, um, you know, a problem for anyone is not the issue. But if you're saying, oh, yeah, this is
2: this is all working great, isn't it? We've only got 200,000 people a day getting infected. Really? And I think the other thing that uh, I had someone on uh, Clive Dix on the other day saying not only should we stop testing healthy people, he said, actually, we, we should now treat COVID like a form of flu. We don't test for flu. No. And therefore, we should stop all testing. That was fascinating. Mm. I think... Over the coming weeks, that's a growing part of the debate. More and more uh, people, medical people, doctors, scientists are starting to say that. Uh, so this is all good stuff, mm. actually, because there are so many people making so much money, mm. the vested interests, who are on the COVID gravy train. Yes. And we've got to stop it. And again, it's us that are going to have to you know, keep fighting for that, keep battling. Mm. Uh, and, and just enhance that debate. Absolutely right. Richard Tice back with us Sunday, 10 o'clock.
1: Independent Republic of Mike Graham on
3: Talk Radio. Let's say a very good morning and a happy New Year to Jamie Jenkins. Jamie, how you doing?
1: All right, Mike. Happy New Year. Another year, another another load of uh, nonsense. <laughs> well, <laughs> I was going to say, how
3: did you manage to survive over in Wales with all the
1: restrictions from Mister Drakeford? Well, I, I, ironically, Mike, I came down with a common cold. Remember that thing? That oh, used? yeah. Yeah, yeah. I came down I with a cold. Did Christmas. you
3: self-isolate as a result and warn everybody well, to I, stay I, away I from you?
1: I was struggling to do my exercise. I tell you, I was feeling far worse than when I had COVID a few months back.
3: <laughs> I mean, that and is the, the thing. I mean, I had a terribly bad cold back end of uh, of, uh, sort of late uh, December just passed. And it was and it was a lot worse than the COVID that I'm being told lasts for about three days. And is a bit like the sniffles, you know?
1: Yeah, well, I've had two vaccines, so some people are saying, well, I COVID would have been worse. But obviously, I wouldn't know, because a lot of people have different effects with COVID. But it's just some absolute nonsense. I was just reading, actually, Mike, I just put a tweet up. that Because in Wales, Mark Drakeford's going to be getting up in about an hour's time. You probably won't get much challenge from the journalists in Wales, as if they're kind of in the pocket, the mm. journalists in Wales. It doesn't get any challenge. And he's going to announce, I think they put a press statement earlier last night, that restrictions are going to continue. But there's an interesting story coming out this morning, Mike, mm. in Chester. So, um, Chester football team, I, I put a tweet out. I've seen it, yeah. football ground. Um, the stands are on the Welsh side of the English-Wales border. The car park's in England, <laughs> and the actual border goes through the back end of the stadium. Right. Because the stand where the fans are standing is in Wales. Technically, now they're in breach of Wales' as COVID restrictions, and the police and the council are looking into this. What a joke. Because they've been playing a... So come on now, this is absolute nonsense. Right now, and the rules are the thing that we're living with. Mike. So
3: correct me if I'm wrong. So the rules in Wales would say that they can't have more than forty or fifty people there, right?
1: So they can't have more than fifty. So yeah. we had in in on Boxing Day, Mike. We had this situation. So Mark Drakeford says, "I want to keep Wales safe." So this is the situation we had on Boxing Day when these new rules came in that people were going along to say the local rugby stadiums. Uh, Only 50 of the fans could watch the game outside in nice fresh air. I think it was raining, so it would have been a bit wet for them. But 150 of them were packed into the clubhouse watching it on the TV. So you've got this farcical situation now, Mike, where fresh air outside, low risk of catching COVID, Nope, can't do that. Go indoors, spread it potentially if you've got it, airborne transmission, you can do that. And they've not changed that today, Mike, whatsoever. Absolute bonkers. Yeah. And, you know, I have no idea what Mark Draker playing at at the moment.
3: So what do you think is going to be the end result? Is there a game today that at Chester? Is that what you're saying?
1: No, so there was a game, I think they've been playing a couple of games since the restrictions came in oh, on Oh, I so they've already breached the restrictions, they're saying. So that's why the police are now looking into it. How so really? our taxpayers' money is going on the police looking into why Chester had fans on the kind of on the Welsh side of the border that goes through the stadium. Yeah. Uh, absolute nonsense, Mike. It's just and 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 in terms of there's a lot of criticism coming at Mark Drakeford at the moment because there's talk of the Welsh, there's a six nations coming up, obviously. Yes. And fans in Scotland and in Wales won't be able to go to the matches for those home games. So there's talk of Perhaps Wales and Scotland playing their games. Maybe Scotland would play at Newcastle. Wales could go over to Manchester or Liverpool. But I can guarantee uh, Mark Drake has not changed the restrictions now. But a lot of people in Wales, Mike, don't watch Mark Drakeford's kind of speeches. They don't watch the media. You know, they don't read the newspapers. They probably think we've got the same restrictions as kind of what Boris says. There's mm. a, there'll be a lot of people like that in Wales. There's no way Mark Drakeford, like I probably say to the listeners, this is my prediction, will allow the matches to go over the border. he would probably reduce the restrictions in time because that's when the man on the street and the woman on the street will start realising how bonkers yes. some of the rules are coming in. Well,
3: given that Boris Johnson didn't do what Wales and Scotland did and now looks have to have done the right thing, are there not people in Wales and probably in, there certainly are in Scotland that I've talked to, uh, saying, hang on a minute, uh, he's obviously gone uh, sort of a bit over the top here, hasn't he?
1: Well, I think so, Mike. We just before Christmas, when he announced the restrictions, he said that he, the Omicron variant was the evidence that he was seeing. It was probably just as bad. We know that's not the case. Interestingly now, Mike, we've got the the case rates per hundred thousand uh, across the four home nations. England has the lowest rate of the four countries. Yeah. So you know, we we've talked in the past these restrictions of stopping. You know, how many people can sit in a in a restaurant, and you can't put a mask on when you stand up. Can't go and watch a football game outside. They're not, you know, they're just tangible things that have very little impact Mm. on kind of COVID, especially with Omicron, Mike, where things, it's just far more transmissible. So, you know, it's it's probably more to do with politics, as far as I can say, because we had the British Medical Association in Wales yesterday saying, Mike, that we went into the pandemic in Wales with uh, not enough staff, not enough beds. So I think the restrictions in these countries is probably more to mask Mm. the fact that the NHS has been poorly managed for decades, rather than the fact that... We're in a health emergency
3: yeah well i think the only place that the nhs is in worse shape than it is in england is in wales where uh the, you know the labor government there seems to have been running it into the ground for years
1: yeah you had richard tice talking to me earlier and he said to ask me about the bed occupancy stats so i just looked them up actually so uh, it's a bit hard to find them all so in england this is interesting mike and i'll probably do a little bit more and put some stuff on my twitter on it yeah so we've had figures this morning on how many patients were in critical care beds on the 2nd of january 2022 in england mm. so 3,055 patients in critical care beds. So I went and had a look at what was the number two years ago, just before COVID it us. 3,075. So there yeah. were 20 more patients in beds in critical care before COVID than what there is now. Yeah. So I'm going to look at the back series, but you know, we, obviously COVID makes it a bit more difficult when you've got to separate patients. But I think the, the narrative is that the NHS has been massively overrun because of this pandemic. Well, it hasn't, really it was overrun before
3: yeah well exactly right and it's always overrun i mean you can go back 20 years and i can find you a, a, a front page of either the mirror or the guardian telling us that you know uh, the, the nhs is overrun there's not enough doctors there's not enough nurses i mean the current problem obviously is that they don't have enough actual people at work because they've sent them all home right
1: yeah so i looked at this we had the, the updated stats on that this morning as well mike so there's about thirty nine thousand staff it says off sick with COVID. Now, some will be off sick, I'm mm. sure, but there'll be a lot of people who are probably fine because this is a very mild variant. They probably wouldn't have even known there was a difference between having a cold or having COVID, and they've just obviously because there's a lot of testing going on. So that's doubled over the Christmas period. Yeah. There's, but we saw Omicron in London earlier, Mike, and the numbers of staff off in London is starting to come back down again. Mm. So I'd imagine it's just going to be one of those things that, ride it out for two or three weeks and then things will start coming back to a, a bit of normality. And and remember now, Mike, the reason that the NHS is kind of struggling a little bit more than say this time last year, because the staff sickness rates aren't much different to this time last year, is the fact that we've had all these kind of non-COVID patients going in because they've been kind of told to protect the NHS for the last 20 months. Right. No, they've reached the point where their body needs protecting themselves. So, but then you know, we also that, know that from
3: we also know from the NHS's own admission over Christmas that basically an awful lot of people who are testing positive for, for COVID in hospital did not go into hospital because they had COVID. They went into hospital for something else. Then they got tested because I think they test everyone as soon as they get in there. And many of them are asymptomatic. They don't actually show any signs of having COVID, but they count as one of the stats
1: yeah so let me just explain kind of this there's two parts to this mike so um they produce and we should get some numbers updated today on how many patients are in hospital uh, but they're not in there primarily for covid and there's two parts to this there's, there's those who are in the community who need admitted to hospital and they wouldn't have been admitted for covid but they've got covid but they needed to be admitted for other reasons so there's those bits but the more worrying ones are the ones that get added to the daily figures. And they're the ones who went in with, into hospital for something else. They were tested. They were negative. And then at a certain point later, when we can kind of be more confident that they definitely didn't have COVID when they went in, they caught the virus in hospital. So it's about 20% of all the admissions added to the figures each day are those people who caught it in hospital. And it could be up to another 20% on top. Who've come in from the community. So, you know, you're talking somewhere between 33, 42% of the figures mm. are patients who would have been in hospital anyway, uh, but they have COVID. Now, in Wales in the latest week, Mike, because I was just looking at them yesterday, it's a staggering 50%, you know, but they don't tell you that, the ministers. Mark Rayford, when he gets up in an hour's time, he won't, he'll talk about the impending emergency on the NHS. He'll talk about the fact that admissions have gone up, mm. you know, nearly 100% in the last week, but he won't mention the fact that a massive vector of that increase. Our patients catch you in hospital. People will say when, when the virus is transmitting in the community a lot, it's more difficult to control. I accept that. But, you know, 20 months in, there's talk about calling for a Welsh inquiry. We've seen a lot of deaths from people who caught the virus in hospital. What's changed? You know, I've, I've seen people in South Korea, Mike, when they're showing the hospitals there, the, the equipment and the masks and stuff that they're using on their COVID wards. Mm. Is absolutely different to what we've got. Maybe they've got it right over there and we've got it wrong here. Who knows?
3: Yeah, difficult to know, isn't it? What I can tell you is that I've just seen a stat which says that the uh, on January the 2nd, the numbers of uh, NHS staff uh, absent from work had risen by 59% on the previous week. Uh, and this week alone, uh, it's three times higher the number of absentees uh, in England in the NHS than it was this time last month.
1: Yeah, and, and that's the kind of the figures that I was just talking about that, this, that in London, they are starting to come down they went up dramatically in london uh, and 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 that, and that's in part Mike, the problem that we've got now in that there's two parts to this isn't there there's if somebody's got a light like, kind of omicron and they don't feel too bad could should they go to work but then there's the if they do go to work and they do pass it on to somebody else in the hospital who are more vulnerable and they die you know there's an issue there but uh, as you were talking about with Richard earlier and we, we can't get into with this testing and they, at some point in the next six months. We need to have a policy now where we, you know, Boris said last year we need to learn to live with COVID, Well, we clearly haven't learned to live with COVID. But in six months time, if this Omicron variant continues to de- you know, demonstrate what it is, that it's more like a common cold than that first variant that we had that was, you know, significantly killing a lot of people then we've got to move away from even self isolating if you've got covid you know that's, that 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 that's the kind of the way we need to get to mike.
3: well i think so and in one of your other tweets about the numbers of people actually dying across england and wales for the most recent week 6.5% of deaths only due to
1: covid which means that basically 93.5% of
3: deaths were nothing to do with covid
1: indeed mike and and, and deaths have been coming down now interestingly this is going to be a good call out i i, I can tell the listener, i predict that the number of covid deaths reported by the government will go up over the next few weeks and probably the next month or so but that's a quirk of how the government present the numbers now if you had a scenario where 100% of the population had omicron uh we know there's about 11,000 000, 12,000 000 deaths a week in england and wales so what you'd have there mike is 11 000 to 12,000 covid deaths because yeah. they're all deaths with a positive covid test now Given the facts and figures I've just told you about the numbers going into hospital now with COVID, but not specifically for it, and it is rising because of Omicron, we will inevitably start seeing more deaths with Omicron, but not because of it. But that won't be explained on the daily figures. So when they do go up, I'd probably treat it with a bit of caution. What we need to look at, Mike, are the total number of deaths that get reported, regardless of what the cause is. Let's see if that goes up. Uh, I very much doubt you'll go up at all if, you know, it might go up a little bit. But the important thing is, Mike, we still are seeing more people dying for the time of year for non-COVID reasons. Again, the narrative all over the newspapers, all over the kind of the BBC, ITVs, it's just COVID, COVID, COVID. We've got, you know, this huge health emergency, non-COVID, which, you know, we've got to sometimes start shining a light on that. Well, exactly right. Ian's
3: asking a question. Um, Could you tell us if the hospitals are still social distancing beds? in wards. I haven't heard that they're not, so I'm assuming they probably still are.
1: Yeah, I assume they are as well. And, that, and in a way, that kind of what makes things a little bit more difficult for the hospitals because they I'm not sure why you'd need to socially distant uh, patients if they've all tested negative.
3: Well, yeah, um, or, or indeed if they've all tested positive. The point is... is exactly, they're all, all if they're all, all on the, the COVID uh, ward, yeah, why would you need to socially But that's An awful lot of it is by their own hand. An awful lot of the problems that the NHS is having to deal
1: with is problems they've created. No, no, indeed, Mike. And, and, and you know, let's look at some optimism in, in the figures, really, that South Africa, where, you know, the, the SAGE was saying, we can't follow the South African scientists. We've got to follow our own things. You know, the SAGE modelling is, again, Mike, we've told this in the past, the SAGE modelling has just been proven it's to be absolutely ap- nonsense. Yeah. Oh, just a joke. They were saying potentially up to 3,000 deaths a day, mm. averaging 100. There's, you know, I, I, I put my house on the fact that we won't get anywhere near 3,000 deaths a day. There's I can no, put my no, house no. on that. Absolute nonsense. It's a shame I can't go down the bookies and have a bet on some of these things. <laughs> like, well, well, maybe be living in will, the mansion well, maybe
3: somebody will make you a book on it. I mean, maybe that's what Sage have been doing all along. Maybe they've been putting out these um, these predictions and then betting the other way. Who knows? I mean, there's got to be some reason for them to do it. I mean, none, none, none of the other reasons make any sense. But this is the thing. Stay with us for a moment, Jamie, though. We've got some other things we want to get through with you. Another thing uh, or two we want to ask. You've got any questions for Jamie? Uh, this is a man who cuts through uh, any of the the nonsense that you might be hearing from anybody else in the with in the business of the media in the business of covid in the nhs uh, in any statistical way shape or form he will tell you precisely what the stats say what they mean and where we're really going which is why we love him it's why we have him on the show jamie jenkins independent statistician uh, independent being the word
0: this is talk radio
3: Uh, we're talking to Jamie Jenkins right now over in Wales. He was telling some fascinating story about Chester Football Club, uh, which apparently is partly in Wales and partly in the U, um, Britain, uh, or partly in England, I should say. Ray Chester FC, the postal address, says Peter, is in England, and so it won't be covered by Wales. Drakeford and the police are missing in action. Uh, well, that may well be the case, but uh, they're certainly looking into it and we'll find out uh, whether they wish to try and punish anyone. I don't think you can do that, really. I seem to remember, Jamie, actually, back in the day when there was restrictions being put on pubs in those days, those heady days of Tier 2. Two and three and four and all that. That there was a pub that had a car park. I think um, in Wales, but the pub was in England or the other way around. I can't remember. So you could. I think the actually, I think the pub was in Wales. So you could park in the car park, but you couldn't <laughs> go into the pub.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that and the problem is Mike. You know, we we it's, it's funny to laugh and joke about some of these things, but there are some real kind of heartbreaking stories. In you know, if you home one of these oh, places for sure. on the border. There are people who've got you know if you live in Wales and on the border you just probably over to England spend all your money there mm. and you just got empty kind of pubs and stuff because you can't get the, the trade and and what's Mark I tell you what Mike Mark Drakeford said you know these restrictions are coming in on Boxing Day they then announced there would be 120 million pounds worth of funding to support things but you couldn't apply until the eighth of January probably because all the civil servants were off for Christmas no, you no know. Doubt. No Absolute doubt, nonsense, Mike.
3: It really is, and I mean, are the people of Wales starting to get a bit fed up with it? Because we were listening to uh, Richard this morning, Richard Tice talking about the schools up in the northwest of England. An awful lot of kids just saying we're not doing the mask thing; we're just not wearing them. And once that kind of thing starts to pick up and it starts to gain momentum, there's very little the authorities can do, it, isn't it?
1: No, I, I I know of more and more people who are getting fed up of it, but. I think that you know the Welsh Labour government do these polls and there's been such a big propaganda campaign and mm-hmm. and the national newspaper in Wales is practically you know a labour mouthpiece uh, mike that a lot of people support. Listen
3: the Western Mail was a useless paper when I used to run the Welsh Mirror and that was you know 20 years ago. <laughs> so
1: probably, well yeah it's not really better now. No I think it's got even worse mike and and and, <laughs> and the thing is there's a, there's a lot of people who will probably support because you keep saying I'm keeping Wales safe but and they don't see kind of the consequences of all of these things that are happening. I just feel for a lot of these things. And you talk about the masks, Mike, and I think you would mentioned it with Richard Leon Absolutely nonsense from Nadim Zahawi this week, going on with Julius saying yes. we're going to remove some evidence later this week. And I cast my eye through it. No statistical difference in wearing masks and not wearing masks in terms of students being absent. Mm. So people who support the mask have now said, well, it didn't prove that there isn't no difference and said well it didn't prove that there yes. was either so you can't have it both ways and and what it did clearly show mike is more than half of people said it made learning more difficult 90% of children, uh, teachers said it made communication more difficult so in my words that's making teaching more difficult mm. So follow the science, follow the data. This government in all four nations, Mike, are not doing it. And just just make a point on Nicola Sturgeon, just to make sure we cover off all three nations. Uh, Nicola Sturgeon was asked um, about patients who are going into hospital with with COVID or with Omicron or not. And she said, I haven't seen the data on that yet. And it doesn't really matter anyway, because they're taking up a bed. And that's quite frankly nonsense, because Mm. what you need to know is how many more people are going in the hospital because of COVID or not because of it, because... If, if, you know, if none of these extra patients, for example, were going in for it, but with it, then you won't need all these restrictions. Yeah. So, you know, another leader there might be just shambolic.
3: But this is it. I mean, and similarly kind of trotted out pieces of perceived wisdom and perceived fact. For example, you know, a week does not go by without somebody coming on to talk radio and saying, well, of course, you know, what we know is that by far and away the most people uh, in hospital in a bad way with um, uh, with Covid are the unvaccinated. And again, if you challenge them on it, they don't really have any figures that back that up.
1: No, and I've covered a lot of that. I was on with um, with um, with Nick when he was covering your show, talking mm. a little bit about that. Um, it's it's true. No, we'll about a month ago we were being said that ninety percent of patients in intensive care are vaccinated. It was forty eight percent of the time that we had, and it's currently crept up to around sixty one percent. But what we also don't know now, Mike, and I think um, we might get more data released soon on on some of this because I would imagine the intensive care beds are following similar to the normal beds. So there's more people in with COVID and then the kind of not in there because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's been a huge kind of campaign against people who are kind of unvaccinated. And Boris has come out now um, this week in his press conference to say, you know, if you've had two jabs, we're probably going to change the definition to be also fully vaccinated who don't have a booster. Mm. It's totally kind of unethical, Mike, that if you don't have a booster, you can't travel when, you know, we know the vaccines help work. You know, if you're vulnerable, get a, you know get your vaccines, get your boosters. Yeah, but if you can't have but, one, though, how
3: unfair is that, that you are now being made into a second-class citizen? In your own country, because you haven't had a vaccination which you either can't have for one reason or another, or don't wish to have for whatever reason, I think that's entirely wrong.
1: No, in- indeed, Mike. Now, I've had two vaccines, I had COVID i got over this more deadly variant, allegedly, than Omicron. What is the purpose of me having a booster? Mm. I don't see much benefit of having a booster vaccine. I would prefer, Mike, ethically, for my vaccine, if if there's a dose there for me, to go to somebody vulnerable in some other part of the world who can't, you know, where they haven't got the vaccines. Because ultimately, Mike, this is a global pandemic, they keep telling us. All the new variants keep coming from all these countries. They've got low vaccination mm. rates. Insane. Yeah. And I mean, of <laughs> yeah. course,
3: you keep hearing occasional words from people like Sajid Javid um, or, or Nadim Zahawi. We're not safe until we're all safe. Well, in which case, you've got to stop people coming from other countries bringing different diseases. But you can't do that. You know, I remember doing a story some years ago of a woman getting off a plane from India at Heathrow who had the bubonic plague. You know and they took her off to guys hospital put her in an isolation ward and that was fine and dandy but you know unfortunately if you have people that travel around the world if you have people that go to different countries if you have people who mingle with other people you know there's going to be some disease out there you can't make everybody safe it's a pointless activity there's no point in even
1: trying no exactly that mike and that's kind of you know omicron potentially is the saviour. It's not going to be good for the vaccine companies and Pfizer because, you know, we won't oh need to boost everybody every three months. But, you know, allegedly we're paying over 20 quid a shot the Pfizer. Yeah. So, well, they'll just have to have come up with something mind.
3: else to sell us then, won't they?
1: Well, no doubt, Mike, and, and and that's going to be a big problem, you know. I think just let's just end with a couple of positive stuff, I Go suppose. So w- w- the Omicron wave hit London first. The cases have come, you know, the, the growth in cases has flattened right back off and we're starting to see declines week on week the intensive care beds mike we've not seen any change really in Mm. those so it's quite evident now that omicron isn't leading to serious illness regardless the vast majority of all those who would end up in hospital in the first wave on the second wave have all had a booster so i can see that we're probably over the worst of this mike i think the main thing is going to be staff absences Mm. and they're starting to come down in london as well so i think for the listeners and the viewers you know Don't panic too much. I think February, we should be over the, you know, we should be back to normal.
3: Jamie, I think those are very wise words. Thank you very much as ever for taking the time to talk to us. Jamie Jenkins, independent statistician, sensible man. Uh, Also, somebody who does actually follow the science, follows the statistics, doesn't come out with these kind of wacky, wacky, weird words where, where you kind of go, well, where'd you get that from exactly? But an awful lot of ministers do that. An awful lot of MPs do that. An awful lot of medical people do that. And we need to clear all of that out. We need to get rid of the sage mentality of trying to keep everybody safe and allowing people to get back to work, back to normal, back to doing what they used to do before any of this nonsense started, right?
2: The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
3: Uh, right now, though, let's talk to Rebecca Ryan, Campaign Director at Defund the BBC, because Andrew Rossendall, uh, a Tory MP, has come up with a plan He thinks it's time to get the BBC back into the hands of those people who don't hate their own country. And perhaps what they should do is what they used to do. And those of you who are old enough to remember it was at the end of their sort of broadcasting day, they would play the national anthem. They don't do it anymore, perhaps because they don't really have an end of their broadcasting day, unfortunately for some of us. Uh, But let's find out what Rebecca makes of it. Rebecca, very good morning to you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Mike. How are you? Yeah, not bad at all. I mean, I'm I'm thinking you might have mixed sort of feelings about this one, really, because on the one hand, you don't really want the BBC to be doing quite as much as they do. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, are they hiding behind their sort of 24-7 broadcast now to say, well, there's no point at which we could play the National Anthem?
6: I mean, I'm a big fan of Andrew Rossendale. Um, he's, a, he's a great MP. But, you know, I think actually the, the danger we have of making suggestions like this is that, you know, it... It throws a bit of red meat to the Tory faithful. Uh, and everyone thinks, "Oh yeah, the BBC could do that," um, and but actually, it's not dealing with the real issues that uh, the Tory voters um, who supported the the government, um, the election of the government at the last general election, actually want dealt with. It's quite patronising to think that you know put up a few union jacks um you know behind ministers when they're talking on tv and and sing the national anthem whilst it whilst it would be great it's just you know that's it, just sort of the the window dressing of what actually needs to happen with the bbc which is you know time's up move it over onto subscription basis um and then let people decide for themselves whether there's you know whether there's actually content worth watching it you know it's well, that- just patronizing to think that the national anthem is going to be enough well, I
3: mean, that is the problem. I see that they've appointed a new sort of boss as well, which we'll get to in a moment. Quite surprising, though, um, that it turns out that Andrew Rossendale's view is not actually shared by that many talk radio Listeners, because only forty-eight is that old forty-eight fifty-two thing again. I don't know why these numbers keep coming up every time you do a bleeding <laughs> referendum. Uh, but so far at the moment, yes, forty-eight percent say yes, fifty-two percent say no. And I think that actually reflects the fact that so many people now have been totally turned off the BBC. They don't really care what they
6: do. Exactly. I think the people are probably voting on that based on the fact that they don't want the BBC to play and they don't want, to, you know, they don't want the BBC to be. Um, a representative of the British public anymore because they just don't trust them. No. You know, um, it, it's let's let's call it a day, switch it over to subscription model and you know, then it, it's free to do whatever it likes and you know we'll wash our hands of it.
3: Yes, I think that's right. I see they've appointed this new woman who was the boss of ITN, Deborah Turness. She's going to be the new CEO of BBC News. I'm sure they've been doing this for a quite a long time. They usually make uh, a bit like civil service, you know, these kind of replacement jobs take about two years to appoint. But she was president of NBC News from 2013 until 2017 and then president of NBC News International. I wonder if this means they're going to try for a more sort of American style approach to the way that news is done because they made that terrible blunder, didn't they, just last week uh, when Ghislaine Maxwell was um, found guilty of sex trafficking and they decided it would be a great idea to interview Alan Dershowitz uh, who's been accused (laughs) of being part of the sort of conspiracy of paedophilia.
6: Oh, they made it a, a complete uh, yeah blunder, as you say, over the Ghislaine Maxwell stuff, you know, having having him on and also then her brother um, defending her corner, um, you know, wading into the sex abuser, apologist uh, arena again. It's, you know, you, you'd think the BBC would learn its lessons, but clearly it doesn't. And that's why we have so much support for defunding the BBC, mm. because, you know, it, it's simply not going to change but um yes this this new um woman i think she uh i read i think in the telegraph yesterday that she uh while she was at five news she introduced the the concept of perching on desks rather than sitting behind desks, oh, while yeah. in, which was seen as sort of groundbreaking. So I'm not quite yeah. sure that's worth an additional 60 grand a year of <laughs> taxpayers' money for, no. that, for that initiative. Well, you'll, but, be, you'll uh, be
3: delighted to know that Amal Rajan, the BBC's very own media editor, has written in glowing terms about her, as you might expect, that <laughs> she is his new boss. Deborah Turnis is an editorial heavyweight with a considerable international reputation, a solid record on impartiality, and like Director-General Tim Davey, a strong commercial pedigree. So there you have it.
6: Well, that's great. That's I mean, I Samuel. think what she would, you know, <laughs> well, I think it would be great if what she did is actually reported on the uh, on defund the BBC and, and, and the, the uh, sort of support and movement against the BBC. Yes. You know, if they're actually a truly impartial uh, news broadcaster, then they should actually be reporting on the opposition to the broadcaster as well and not just sort of um, blanking it out. And that's what a lot of our supporters say is that the main issue with the BBC is not the bias of the news content that it does broadcast but all the stories that it doesn't broadcast and it's this sort of selective storytelling Mm. that um forms the sort of narrow collective narrative of the country that is is what's really destructive yes i mean my sister who
3: lives in in the u.s occasionally checks in with the bbc and she used to do it kind of keep in touch with what was going on uh, in the uk and she's not particularly um in my position politically but she even she's horrified by some of the stuff they come out with on coven she's like they're at it again you know scaremongering everybody (laughs) what the hell are they thinking you know what are they doing and from somebody to live she lives in the states right for somebody who lives in america to say the bbc is now more biased than anything they do over there is quite an extraordinary statement
6: yeah absolutely and i think she's you know she's hit the nail on the head because it is and i mean even We've seen data over and over again here that says that the BBC is the most biased of the national broadcasters. And least um, trusted so, as well. Absolutely, yeah. So, you know, the, this narrative that they want to portray that they are this sort of trusted institution and that's how they justify um, relying on taxpayers' money, it's just, it, you know, it, it's just not true. But obviously because they, they own the news cycle... Um, they can continue to dictate uh, the narrative that mm. they choose.
3: Yes, and I mean, as you and I are discussing whether or not they mm. should be defunded, I'm currently looking at a screen in which they are going banging on a still about the Downing Street flat investigation, uh, which is sort of <laughs> yesterday's cold potatoes, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, they could do with something yeah. just with a sense of what the news is, you know?
6: Yeah, exactly. I'm picking up on you know, out there in the in the in wider Britain, what people are actually bored of hearing about and you know they really are bored of hearing about this you know variant after variant after variant and they're bored of hearing about you know uh, parties at number 10 last year i mean people would have been appalled if you know if if our christmases had been taken away yes, from us I think you know so. then if you could you warrant sort of bringing out these stories but actually you know the public has moved on and the bbc needs to stop sort of gnawing over old bones really. yeah
3: i think that's absolutely right very good advice uh, Rebecca mm. I think what you should definitely do though is write to this new chief and say you know mm. let's let why don't you guys start covering our story see what she says Be Absolutely. To know. great stuff Rebecca <laughs> thank you very much indeed Rebecca Ryan campaign director at defund the BBC go to our web website and go to also the uh, twitter page of talk radio and you can vote at the moment it's about 50 50 I mean it's 48 52 but call it 50 50 ish for whether or not the British people want to hear the BBC playing the National Anthem again at some point, like they used to at the end of every day. It used to be around about midnight when the final broadcast was finished and they would play the National Anthem, and that was when you knew it was time to go to bed. You know, now I never know. The Independent Republic of
2: Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
3: Let's talk now uh, to James Evans, Conservative member for Brecon and Radnorshire, uh, to see what he makes of what Mr Drickford is saying to the good people of that country. Uh, very good uh, afternoon to you, James. How are you doing?
5: Good afternoon. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, I'm very good. Thank you. How are you?
3: Very well indeed. Sorry to interrupt your probably slavish uh, watching of the Drakeford press conference, but uh, what's he going on about today?
5: Well, I'm glad you pulled me away, actually. We've not <laughs> seen... <laughs> it was a riveting watch. Uh, We're not seeing no changes to restrictions here in Wales today. We've got the hardest restrictions out of any part of the UK. You know, Mark, Drakeford is doubling down on a failing strategy. You know, it's it's not working. I, we've got business leaders in the hospitality sector mm. across the country who've come out yesterday saying, unless we align with England, we're going to see massive job losses right across Wales because businesses simply cannot afford to be put in this stop start all the time. It's not right. And the amount of business that they lost through the New Year period when everyone was going into England, having a good time. And in Wales we all had to sit at home. Yeah, we could even meet six you had to meet six people in a pub, but could meet in the house of thirty. The rules are just so It's
3: bonkers, isn't it? Well, this is the thing, and I mean we've got the <laughs> so Six Nations coming up. A lot of people we were talking to Jamie Jenkins earlier, uh, about how a lot of people are worried that, you know, in England and Scotland it's gonna be fine
5: and probably even in Ireland, but if you get a game in Wales, you won't be able to watch it live. Well, well you know, the Welsh Rugby Union come out and so they're even going to have to contemplate taking matches into England because the Welsh Rugby Union cannot afford to lose the amount of money that they are losing with these restrictions. Mm-hmm. And I don't blame the Welsh Rugby Union. They are a business in their own right. They fund grassroots rugby right across the country. And without them, we wouldn't see our community clubs going. Right. The rules are going to cripple Wales. They're going to take sports clubs away. We could even bankrupt our National Rugby Union if we yeah. don't go into England. Play their matches. These rules are crazy. You know, we had a professor in Cardiff University, John Watkins, is his name. He's a senior epidemiologist there, and he has said that we should probably now be aligned with England because this virus isn't as deadly as the Delta variant. It is making people ill, but it's not killing people at the rate Mm. that the Delta variant or any other variant has. And we do, before long, have to learn to live with this virus. It is not going anywhere now, and it's not in the interest of a virus to get stronger it's going to get weaker and weaker and weaker and Chris Whitty himself has said at some point we are going to have to learn to live with it and I think the time is coming that we all should just get on with our lives mm. and start getting back to normal.
3: Exactly right and what's the justification with Drakeford because he surely must be looking around the hospitals and seeing uh, that the numbers of cases and the numbers of people being seriously ill are dropping I mean there isn't anything else happening is there? Well, they're
5: saying they've seen hospital admissions going up. But let's remember, this is in the winter period. And the NHS in England, Scotland, Wales, long before the pandemic began, has always had winter pressures because it's the simple time of year it is. So people are going to be going into hospitals, but it's not all related to COVID. And I think every time we listen to Mark Drakeford, his justification, as you said, Mike, you want justification, is keeping the people of Wales safe, Mm but we're not seeing the data to suggest that what he's doing is actually keeping people safe. It's killing our businesses. That's what it's killing. It's killing our economy. It's just not good enough from the first minister. He always used to say, I'm following the science. And that is what he used to preach about before the Delta variant ever came in. And now with this Omicron variant, you don't hear it anymore. And it's quite harsh of me to say, but I do think Mark would likes doing this Mm. to be different and to try and distance himself from westminster what we're seeing over the border in england businesses being allowed to continue people being able to live their lives as they not as they used to but somewhere near where they were yeah. people able to go to sports matches and just get on with their lives which helps their mental health i mean we've got a mental health crisis here in wales because people don't want to be shut at home the amount of people who i speak to you know friends of mine who are suffering with social isolation because they just get so nervous about what's coming next, because you just don't know what the man's no. going to do.
3: It's- well that's the thing, and I mean it's clear that, that both he and Nicola Sturgeon deliberately decided to make more restrictions, because they thought that was going to look better if things turned out to be worse, but of course now that things haven't turned out to be worse, they should just say, we made a mistake, we took the uh, cautious um, approach, but now we don't need to stick with it, but they're too full of themselves, aren't they, to make an apology and to do a kind of U-turn and say, actually, we didn't need to do it, I'm glad we did do it, if they had any kind of um nouse at all they would say look we did it for the for the for the same reason that we've always done things we thought it would be better to be safe than sorry but we now have worked out that actually it wasn't necessary and everybody can go back I mean it's not completely back to normal in England but at least it's better than it is there
5: well exactly I can't I can't disagree with anything you just said and you put it probably more eloquently than I have they like <laughs> being different for different sake and you even had Nicholas Sturgeon almost admitting I, I think it was yesterday that Yes, you know, we we can't do this. We should be more aligned with England. I think it was something along those lines. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't exactly say that because he has to be slightly different. The same as Mark Drakeford. They form this sort of socialist alliance, don't they, of the nationalists and the socialists in Cardiff and do as much as they can to be different from the UK government when what people need and businesses need in this country is a four nations approach with everybody working together to one common set of rules so businesses know where they are and people can start to plan their lives without having to worry about, you know, I got office staff in my own office here in in Brecon, are sometimes too frightened to come in for the Mm. fear of being fined. Those people don't want to stay at home. It's just ridiculous. These rules are draconian, they're not wanted, and the sooner we can get back, the better back to normal, the
3: better. No, yeah, I think you're absolutely right, James. Well, listen, good luck with it. Um, and what about Chester FC? What are, you, what are you hearing about them? Are they going to be uh, uh, raided by the Welsh head uh, loo, chasing them down the uh, the middle of the pitch, which the part of which well, is well, As
5: long as they play in the English end, they'd be all right. But, uh, <laughs> you, might, you might have the COVID police come round, and if they go into the Unbelievable. English, side, they'll stop the game. It's, it's just ridiculous. I, know. But, uh, I live in a border constituency, you know quite pleased the social isolation levels of, of self-isolation levels have come in line because i've had teachers who work in england message me saying well my employer expects me back to work after seven days until not long ago it was 10 days in wales and it was like what set of rules do i, I follow here?" because my employer wants me back i've got young children who need to learn and build their education obviously you know it's just ludicrous but there we are mike we're, we're, It's what we live with here in Wales, and the sooner we can probably uh, rid ourselves of the First Minister, the better.
3: Yes, absolutely right. Couldn't agree more. James Evans there, uh, a member for uh, the Senate, of course, for the Conservative Party, Brecon and Radnorshire. Drakeford has come out today and, as you might expect, has decided that we will just keep the restrictions in place because, clearly, there's nothing that uh, has changed whatsoever since before Christmas when he made it a lot more restricted in Wales than it is actually in England. It seems remarkable to me that uh, the people in Wales are putting up with it, for heaven's sake. Because what we are seeing in this country uh, is people actually calling now for the restrictions to be lifted altogether, for Plan B to be chucked out, for Plan B to be said that there's no real, any longer a reason to keep Plan B restrictions in place. So, what on earth is happening in Wales? 0344 499 1000. What we can tell you is there's plenty of NHS staff off, 59% up. On the 2nd of January from the previous week. Three times more people off uh, because they're self isolating in the NHS than there were this time last month. Let's talk to Heather, who's in Hereford. Hello, Heather.
0: Hello. Mr. How are you President doing? Of Common sense. Thank I you. hope you can hear me. I
3: can hear you very well. Speak up yes. and t- tell us what you want to tell us, Heather.
0: Oh, well, um... I'm always waiting to hear what what you would do with your independent republic. I'm always listening out to to what rules and regulations you might want to install. But what I want to say is, I know that a lot of people are feeling poorly stuck at home. But then I'm wondering, how is it that those people who are not poorly are just telling their employers um, that they're not well? Well, and How is the employer to check that matter?
3: Well, they're probably not even allowed to check it, are they? I mean, if I was in the NHS and I rang up my uh, line manager, whoever that was, and said, oh, I'm terribly sorry, I've just taken a lateral flow test and it's proved positive with COVID, so I'm going to take five days off. Or, in fact, like a lot of people uh, in the civil service, you could say, I've just written myself a medical note, I'm off till January the 25th.
0: Yes, this is what I mean. There's no accountability. And... um... What I want to say is um, we're never going to get out of this situation until we have more hospitals. That is the key to the matter. Everything else is annexed to it and can be sorted around it. And we desperately need these hospitals. And I think I, I would really like to know, is anybody asking, have the architects drawn up any plans? Are they digging the foundations? Where are they going to go? what is happening on that front, because we desperately, every town and city, village needs a, a new hospital.
3: Yes, and absolutely, and and the reason why the NHS is not working properly is entirely due to the way that it's run. Nothing to do with uh, anything the government's done, it's the way that the NHS is managed and it's mismanaged, and I'm afraid it has been mismanaged for many years.
0: Absolutely, we've got to get a grip and we have, uh, seriously have to get a grip, because, you know, we're going to end up like flipping America. Mm, I know. <laughs> nowhere.
3: And we certainly don't want that. Certainly not in the America under Joe Biden, that's for sure. Uh, listen, great to talk to you, Heather. Thank you very much indeed. Happy New Year to you. Hope you have a be reasonable January. The point about where we are now, right, is that the threat to the economy and to the well-being of this country and this nation is nothing to do really with the Omicron variant, almost nothing to do really with COVID at all. And it's everything to do with the way that we handle it from this point on. And what I would suggest that you do is you get in touch with your elected representative. You do it by any means by which you like to do it, whether it's an email, whether it's a letter, whether it's a Christmas card. You do whatever you do to get in touch with them. You tell them in no uncertain terms that you believe that what is more important now in this country is that we recover from this terrible thing that happened, that we get on with our economy, economy, that people go back to work, that we reopen places that have been closed, that offices are now repopulated with people rather than left empty, uh, that restaurants can be opened at any time of the day or night so that we can get back to normal. That's what people want. Some people may wish to continue to hide away from Omicron or from COVID and that's entirely down to them. If that's what they want to do, they can. If you feel vulnerable and you don't want to go out because it's too dangerous, then you don't have to. And if you want to wear a mask because you feel as though you might need protection from the air, then by all means wear one. But don't make it the law that everybody else has to. It's as simple as that. Certainly don't make our children do it. This is Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. It is unbelievably fast-moving, this show, because it's already nearly finished. It's Friday, January the 7th. We're at the end of the first week uh, of the new year, 2022. I think we've managed to um, slay a few shibboleths out there this week. I think we've done pretty well. Uh, however, there's one thing we haven't done yet, and it's this.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards.
3: Oh look, there's lights now. Blimey. <laughs> it's like a rock concert.
4: Very much so. I've missed
3: this actually. Yes. I'd almost forgotten about it. Oh. Because you took an early bath last year, didn't you?
4: Well, you say that, but it... I mean,
3: how many Terry Awards did you do in December?
4: Uh, two. Are
3: you sure?
4: I think so. Why? How many did you do? Well, uh, I think... or how
3: many Well, I did the same number you did, but I'm not sure it was two. Oh. I'm going to check now. In All fact. right then. Um, well, while
4: you're checking, uh, welcome to the Perry Awards. This is where we look back on the so-called independent republic of Mike Graham and choose our favourite moments. There See, two, See? Out, two. Of a, out of
3: out of five. And
4: might I also say that you questioned when I brought in a a, a glass of water earlier, but I've since had clarification yes. that. I did bring did you? you a glass of water, and you must just be very thirsty, man. Maybe so.
3: Yeah, well, it's, time is flying today. Time flies. So, I yeah. think I'm in some kind of uh, time warp, where basically Maybe. things happen, and I don't even notice.
4: You know? Well, yes. I mean, you're so focused on, you know, getting the best guests, and, you know, yes. like, getting the show on the go, and, you know, it's you're true. focusing on the camera, that you don't even see no. us kind of, like, shimmy around and no. about... But anyway, anyway, here we are. Here we are. Welcome. So welcome to the uh, first one of 2022, Thank and might I say, it's a, a good way to. How many uh, are you going to do this month? Uh, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully four. But then four. Well, well, we'll see. First we'll so see. One,
3: two, yeah, there's four months. There's four Fridays <laughs> but, in January. All
4: right. Well, fingers crossed. Then. So, as fingers is crossed. tradition, the first Perry Award goes to you, Mr. Graham. Thank you very much for fluffing up your lines. Cheers.
3: The whole nece- nece- necessi- necessi- bleh, I say it. necessity to actually. Necesito. Yes. <laughs> well, that was early on as well, wasn't it? it Tuesday, was. I think. Yes. So, you know, I wasn't quite back in the swing of it yet.
4: No, that's true. And it was a bank holiday on the Monday, yes. so it was bank holiday vibes. You mm. know, it takes a while to kind of get back into. Yes, things. I'm
3: fully, fully in the saddle now. Good. Thank you.
4: Glad you're uh, saddled up and. Shopped into place, etc. Okay, et okay. <laughs> and another one for you, Mike. Uh, we had a we had this problem before Christmas where you appear to be drifting off every now and again. Mm. Uh, this is the Perry Award for the Wakey Wakey is Mike Okeke Award of the Week.
1: <laughs> Get their booster and then
5: their passport, but the NHS itself, more importantly, <laughs> the NHS as you know it in London. <laughs> See, I think you've just
3: misinterpreted the way my eyes move. You think that I'm falling asleep, but that's just because my eyes
4: are kind of hooded. No, you said that last time, but it's you're true. not. You're not doing it now. So <laughs> maybe I don't know. Are you <laughs> you maybe. don't look like you.
3: But my head's clearly moving. So yeah, I think awake. you're
4: just like maybe it's just like intently listening. It could be that. Yeah, yeah. Like you should a, try it sometime. Me. Maybe... <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Mike, one is his zero on that one. No. Thanks very much. Thank um Although, just on the subject, a girl at school used to have like a... I'm not sleeping, miss. I'm just seriously, like, really hard concentrating. Yes. So, there really hard okay. concentrating. When my head starts
3: hitting the microphone, I think then you can well, genuinely accuse me of falling asleep.
4: Yes. All right, then. Okay. Uh, so, Christo gets a Peria for the facial expression of the week.
5: No, I mean... Uh, heaven forbid if we are to go back to the International Monetary Fund with his hand out, you know. No, that be terrible.
3: I mean, as far as I'm concerned, uh, we've just opened a breast enlargement. Blimey.
4: Yes. So, There's so a lot going on there. There is a lot going on there. So for Have you anyone- not seen
3: that one already? I thought I'd seen that already.
4: Oh. Yeah, sure
3: uh. I have. Maybe it's just somebody just showed it to me.
4: Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Well... Uh, maybe, although maybe you have seen it, so who knows? I don't know,
3: I might have have just seen it, you know, not actually as part of the perriers, I might have just seen it. Yes. That's possible.
4: Well, um, for um, for anyone who was just driving or listening, that was a highly visual perrier, which I probably should point out every now and again. he
3: basically made a very funny face by opening his mouth very wide and kind of going... Like that, which which you won't be able to see uh, unless you're watching, obviously. Uh,
4: so uh, yeah, for anyone that's listening, it's basically just opening your mouth very, very wide where your grandma Mm. used to say, Stop catching flies,
3: shocked,
4: yeah, shocked, catching flies, all the bees need so. Kevin O'Sullivan yes. was a Beanock. so that's for anyone who doesn't know what a Beanock means a big name on campus oh. for the Perry Awards last year, and I'm yeah. sure he'll be making himself a name for himself yet again this year. This is the Perry Award for the Impression of the
2: Week. Mm. On talk radio. Oh my God! Look at that! <laughs> uh, very good evening. Welcome to the James Whale well Show, featuring the uh, the hairy hairy man, yeah, man. over there. A um, uh, very good evening. Welcome to the show. We've got loads to talk about today, so let's just say ooh, a very good evening. The legendary James Whale on Talk Radio. Uh, and Talk Radio TV. You can see us on our YouTube channel. You can see us on Apple TV, You're on Samsung TV. You can see us all over the place. Uh, right, where are you? I'm here, Hello. No, I can't see. It looks different, though. The
3: studio looks so.
2: Like... Yeah. <laughs> well, why have you have got a wig on? I can see it's plastic as well.
3: i your worst nightmare. Oh, for God's <laughs> sake. Get the bloody grill <laughs> cream. <laughs> Where
2: did you get that wig?
4: So, I don't know. It's been floating around the office for uh, a couple of days now, and I think it tragically ended up in the bin. So, um, anyway, so the last we'll uh, see of uh, Kevin dressing up as uh, Ash. I hope so. But, uh, so, um, a caller on Ian's show gets a perrier for the one-liner of the week.
0: Uh good afternoon, Ian.
3: Good
2: um, afternoon, sir.
0: May I just say your skin's looking... Amazing at the moment. I don't you're know very
2: you're kind, darling. Thank you, sir. Yes, amazing.
0: But anyway,
3: you're asking. That is extraordinary.
4: Yes, and might I say that yours? It is looks... looking good, though. What yours or? Um... Well, Ian's always looking good. Yes, well, yours looks well as well. Well, I've I had a it...
3: special treatment this morning. Oh, have you? Yeah. I
4: have. Oh well, mm. um, if you could direct us to get one. Well, if you, you can afford it. Oh, oh, <laughs> that's a shame. I'm not sure if
3: our boss can afford it. Either I know.
4: <laughs> <laughs> um, so another one, a Perry award for a caller of the week yes. who, who discloses a bit too much information
3: what are you going uh, what are you going easy. into hospital for if I may ask um it's a cyst okay. in my testicle, if you must know. <laughs> Well, I didn't ask you to give me specific details, but thank you for sharing that. Um,
0: well, I don't know I don't know what else I can say, really. I,
5: that's
3: fine. You, you know, you could have stopped at cyst. I mean, you could have said an operation. Assist, you know, yes. it was minor I'm not procedure. looking forward to it, mate. No, yeah. I should probably be quite painful. Well, listen, all the best. Hope- I mean, the thing is, some people are good at asking questions and getting people to answer yeah. I mean, that yeah. was a bit more than I was expecting. Uh,
4: uh, well, a little bit. So whoever, we're not naming names, but whoever's going through that, all the best. Maybe
3: they should give me Prince Andrew. See what he'd have to say.
4: Well, maybe, yeah. yes. Well, would he still be sweating or going to uh, oh, Pizza knows? Express? Who knows? Who can fin- say? Finally, MG, another one for you for yet again another facial expression of the week. Oh. <laughs> ah. I've no
3: Welcome idea back what to the means. independent public Mike Grave. Went a little bit early there. Never um. mind. <laughs> Yeah, that's because I started talking before the microphone yeah, went up, uh, which is unusual for me. Normally I talk after way after it's been put
4: that's up. That's true. A false start, something. Occasionally somebody say. Anyway, uh, that's all for the Perry Thank Awards. You very much. There will be more next week. Excellent.
2: The Perrier Awards on Talk Radio.